Amen. Thank you for that testimony. I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that's why we celebrate. Last week, we had a wonderful celebration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And one of the reasons we celebrate it is that it demonstrates not only Christ's victory over death, but also the life-giving power of God. Death is sin's penalty, but life is God's gift, a sacred and holy gift that only God can give. So this morning I want to talk about that sacred gift and a few things we learn about it from God's Word. So open your Bibles with me, if you will, to the very first chapter of the very first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 where we find the first mention of human life in all of the Bible. We're going to look at verses 26 and 27. And if you are able, I invite you to stand with me as I read God's Word for us. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. The Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Thank you. Please be seated. Now this text tells us that human life is sacred because it is the crown of God's creation and because we are created in the very image of God. The origin of human life is found in God alone. Only God can create it. And though the world may diminish it and undervalue it to God... It is precious. Now, human life is sacred, as I said, because it is the crown of God's creation. Oftentimes when a painter paints a picture, the painter will start with the background and then gradually layer the painting forward toward the focal point, the centerpiece, the point of the painting. Uh, The reason all the rest is painted and surrounds it. God's creation of the world and the universe is done in much the same way. God in the first chapter of Genesis does His creative work in these six days followed by the rest, the Sabbath on the seventh. And He creates all of the other things and then at the very last on the sixth day God creates humankind, creates man. Now In Genesis chapter 2, in the more detailed account of creation, uh, we see that woman is actually created last after man. So on behalf of all of the men here, I will concede that you ladies are the crown of God's creation. But we, we want to be in on that. When I say the word man, I hope that you'll hear me saying humankind, male and female, as the Bible has testified in Scripture. And so this man that is created is 
in Hebrew, Adam, which later becomes the proper name of the first man personally addressed by God, Adam, the last creation on the sixth day. And so the creation account reveals that humankind is the purpose for which everything else was created. And for a long time, the secularists held a similar kind of view, a high view of human life and humankind. Humanism viewed man as the supreme being of his world. Man was seen as the pinnacle of evolution, the most highly evolved of any being. And even though there is no conception of God in that intellectual framework, they still viewed man as the, the pinnacle of all of whatever processes had brought us to this point. And man was seen as the purpose for everything else. Everything existed at the whim of man and for the service of man. But now it seems the pendulum has swung to the other extreme. The rights of trees and animals are elevated above the rights of human beings. Kids today are told that a spotted owl has more right to a forest than they do. And many of you in this room will probably remember the Tennessee snail darter, which nearly derailed the construction of the Teleco Dam on the Little Tennessee River back in the 1970s. They were going to build this huge Teleco Dam, and, and they discovered that in that area was this tiny little fish known as the Tennessee snail darter, and so the big fuss was raised about this dam destroying the habitat and the environment of this little fish and causing it to go extinct. And so there was a great deal of political wrangling over that. Finally, uh, one day on the floor of the Senate, Tennessee Senator Howard Baker, uh, only half kidding, called the Tennessee snail darter the bane of my existence the nemesis of my golden years. But eventually, the Teleco Dam was constructed and the Tennessee snail darter survived. They discovered it elsewhere. It's no longer on the endangered species list. Now, the Word of God says that humankind is God's crowning creation and that man has dominion or rule or domination over the rest of the created order, little fish and spotted owls included. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be good stewards of the created gift that God has given us. Only those who are insane pollute their living spaces. And so we are expected to treasure and to, to care for creation as God has blessed us and given it to us. But that shouldn't lead to a proud self-exaltation of classical humanism, but rather to the humble thankfulness of the psalmist, David. Earlier in the, in the service, you read from Psalm 8 in a, a unique rendering and translation. I'd like to read some verses from it for you from a more familiar uh, translation and rendering. And this is a psalm of David. He writes to God, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, 
What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Because humankind is the crown of God's creation, human life is sacred. But it's sacred not only for that reason, human life is also sacred because we are created in the image of God. Verse 27 tells us, More than once, in fact, in these two verses, three times it says, we are created in the image of God. Now, what does image of God mean? Well, if we had a few theologians up here on the platform, they could debate that through the day and into the night and put us all to sleep, I'm sure. But whatever it means, it has to be what distinguishes us from every other created being on earth. And by that I mean mankind's self-awareness, his ability to conceive of abstract realities, his ability to create and reason, his capacity to recognize and appreciate beauty, truth, nobility, and love. But above all, his capacity to exist in relationship with his creator. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. No other creature is like man. Only man bears the image of God. And so, because of that, human life is sacred. It is holy. It is inviolable. It is sacrosanct, untouchable, if you will. And it is precisely because we have been created in the image of God that murder is a capital offense. Now, society punishes murderers because they look at that as a violation of individual rights of someone else. And because it, it uh, stabilizes society and all of those sorts of sociological reasons. But the Bible condemns murder for another reason. A little farther along in Genesis, chapter 9, verse 6, to be exact, the Bible says, Whoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And so, the murder of another human being demonstrates contempt for God. And yet, murder is everywhere today. We read about it, we hear about it in the news. Mass murder. Uh, these, These school shootings, church schools no less supermarkets, synagogues, everywhere. And the most innocent among us are the victims, oftentimes. The Pew Research Center reports that gun deaths among U.S. children and teens rose 50% in the last two years because this contempt for God that infects our culture, it makes the shooters so miserable that they want to express that contempt in taking the lives of others as they take their own. Now, friends, anyone with any common sense knows we can have the Second Amendment and we can have common sense gun laws 
It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. We can have both. If we'll just elect people with enough political will and courage to make it happen, killing others is contempt for God, murdering others, because we are created in the image of God. And so human life is sacred. Human life is sacred, and because of that, it is sacred throughout, from beginning to end. We need to remind ourselves of that. So when does life begin? Well, in our faith tradition, through the generations, and especially those who are conservative evangelicals, have long held by conviction that life begins at conception. But the scientists have come along and promised potential cures for things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and cancer and things like that through embryonic stem cell research. And that has caused some who formerly held the conviction that life begins at conception to waver a bit. One talk radio commentator that I occasionally used to listen to back in Texas said that life doesn't actually begin until a fertilized egg implants itself in a uterus. And therefore, pre-implantation experimentation is okay, is fine, nothing wrong with that. Another a former Republican senator, a Mormon actually, argues that the cells are just like the dust of the earth before God breathed the breath of life into them, and so hence they don't yet constitute life. But the natural question is, who has a definitive answer as to when exactly fetal cells are endowed by God with the breath of life? That question is above my pay grade, I don't know about you. I don't have any memory of anything that happened to me before my first birthday. So does that legitimize experimentation on infants? As we could say, perhaps the breath of life, the, the awareness, the memory, the, the cognitive ability wasn't yet developed enough to, to, to cause me to be alive. Does that mean it's okay to experiment on infants? Well, of course not. No one argues that yet. And at the other end of the spectrum, some of us can't remember what happened since our last birthday. <laughs> Does that legitimize experimentation on the elderly or euthanasia or assisted suicide or any of those things? Well, no, of, of course not. I want to read for you from the best-known passage in the Scripture that addresses this question. Again, it's another psalm, Psalm 139, a psalm of David. As David, again, addresses the Lord, speaking to him, really probably singing these words. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. 
All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So man has overstepped his authority when he presumes to tell God at what point after conception life begins. And yet we have been doing that for over half a century, haven't we? In fact, we've been doing it for so long, a generational shift has taken place, and now it's looked upon as an entitlement. And that's why there's such a fuss about it, why it's so much in the news. Now, Roe versus Wade was overturned last year, as you all know, but that hasn't stopped abortions from happening. It simply moved them to the states. But in that half century, tens of millions of babies have been aborted in the United States alone. And it's getting harder to count. If you look at the statistics, it will look like the frequency of abortion has diminished. But so-called medication abortions now account for over half of legal abortions in the United States. And that makes it hard to count. We don't even know exactly how many. Lives are being lost. Abortion proponents call it health care, but that's a euphemism. It's not very healthy for those babies, is it? Are they unable to recognize that? Do they think the rest of us are too foolish to know that? It's been said that the most dangerous place in America is a mother's womb a place designed by God for protection and nurture. Now, I am not anti-choice. It's just that I believe the time for choice is before the baby is conceived. God has given us the freedom to choose. It's not as though we are powerless to resist some compulsion to go about conceiving children willy-nilly. We have the power to choose. If we will exercise it as God intended. And if a poor choice results in a pregnancy, don't make it exponentially worse by resorting to abortion. I owe an eternal debt of gratitude to a 16-year-old unwed mother who chose to deliver her baby and to surrender that baby for adoption because for the last 41 years that baby has been my wife and she has changed my life. She and I have never been able to conceive children of our own But we helped with the raising. We spent a significant portion of our life bringing up a child of a teenage mother who couldn't care for him and didn't. All of those lives lost, what might they have accomplished? Do you suppose any of them might have discovered a cure for Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or cancer or... Diseases of the sort? Well, only God knows. Sadly, statistics tell us that the vast majority of the abortions in America today are done for reasons of convenience. 
because it just isn't the right time or we don't have enough money yet or he hasn't proposed to me yet or whatever the case may be. It's just not convenient. And with these medication abortions, I'm sure that has become even more the case. Convenience. Now, it doesn't matter what the scientists say about the onset of life or what the doctors say about terminating pregnancies. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says about privacy or what politicians say about choice or what the sociologists say about quality of life or what the feminists say about rights. It doesn't matter what any man or woman says about it. Ending a healthy, viable, God-created life through abortion is wrong. Period. It always has been. It always will be. And no court, however supreme, will ever change that because the highest authority in the universe has already delivered his ruling in his word. Why? Because to God, every human life is precious. Everyone, even those that are stained by sin, alienated from him, are precious to God. So precious, in fact, that through his son, God spilled his own blood and gave his own life on the cross so that we could be forgiven. So that we could live and experience this sacred gift that only God can give. There is no sin that God's grace cannot cover. Lee Strobel is the former atheist who came to Christ and became a, an apologist, a preacher, even a pastor, has served a number of churches. And in one of those churches, they used to have a practice where Baptismal candidates, before they were baptized, they were instructed to take a piece of paper and write down on that paper a few of the sins that they had committed and fold it up. And then when it was time to be baptized, they were to come up on the platform and take that piece of paper and pin it to a large wooden cross that had been set up there in the sanctuary and then go to a pastor and be baptized. Well, a woman who was baptized in one of those services later wrote a letter to Strobel, and this is what she wrote. I remember my fear. In fact, it was the most fear I remember in my life. I wrote as tiny as I could on that piece of paper the word abortion. I was so scared someone would open the paper and read it and find out it was me. I wanted to get up and walk out of the auditorium during the service because the guilt and the fear were just that strong. When my turn came, I walked toward the cross and I pinned the paper there. I was directed to a pastor to be baptized. He looked me straight in the eyes and I thought for sure that he was going to read this terrible secret that I'd kept from everybody for so long. But instead, I felt like God was telling me, I love you. It's okay. You've been forgiven. I felt so much love for me, a terrible sinner, 
It's the first time I ever really felt forgiveness and unconditional love. It was unbelievable, indescribable. You see, God's grace really is greater than all our sin. Whatever that sin may be. And there is no life more precious to God than yours. You are the crown of God's creation. You are created in His image and likeness. Your life and all human life is sacred by divine decree from God Himself. He gives it to us as a sacred gift, a gift that only He can give. And He's given it to us. So what might that inspire in you on this Lord's Day? Pray with me. Father God, we are thankful that you have created us in your image. You've breathed the breath of life into us. You have given us the capacity to recognize truth and beauty and love and right and wrong. You have given us consciences that can respond to the conviction of your Holy Spirit to confess our sins and be forgiven by your grace. Lord, I pray that we in this place might hold life in higher regard, might give it the respect that you intended when you created it, that we might shine that light into a world that is drifting ever farther away from truth and goodness. The evil one has seduced and deceived a vast multitude, Lord. And I pray that we might not be among them, that our eyes would be open, that we would look into your word and find there your truth, and that we might cleave to it all of our days, that you might be glorified and lifted up. Thank you for life. Thank you for eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you might manifest that life in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a great invitation hymn. You know